Alas, poor country, almost afraid to know itself. It cannot be called our mother, but our grave, where nothing but who knows nothing is once seen to smile, where sighs and groans and shrieks that rend the air are made, not marked, where violent sorrow seems a modern ecstasy, the dead man's knell. Is there scarce ask for who? And good men's lives expire before the flowers in their caps, dying or ere they sicken. William Shakespeare wrote these lines for Ross in Macbeth, scarcely two years after the end of the Great Plague. During today's special episode of Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America, we'll take a look at the impact the global pandemic is having on refugee populations and responses from supporting organizations and governments. These include the World Health Organization, the UN High Commission on Refugees, the International Rescue Committee, and Oxfam International. As of the date of this recording, there have been over 5.7 million confirmed cases of COVID-19. These are reported by the World Health Organization, and they include over 357,000 deaths. The global pandemic has changed virtually every aspect of daily life across the planet. The disruption to movement and resettlement of refugees is no exception to the staggering changes occurring. According to the United Nations Department of Global Communications, as of April 16, 2020, 122 refugee-hosting countries reported local transmission of COVID-19. From that same report, I quote, over 80% of the world's refugees and nearly all the world's internally displaced people are hosted in low- and middle-income countries where health systems are mostly weak. The UNHCR and partners began constructing isolation and treatment facilities as of the date of this report to ensure availability of beds to serve refugees and host communities. The International Rescue Committee is another organization mobilizing international efforts to protect refugee populations. Their teams launched coronavirus preparedness and response programs in over 40 countries, including Greece, Syria, Yemen, and the United States. These efforts include training healthcare workers in Syria, where nine years of conflict have devastated healthcare infrastructure. In the Northeast region, data shows the shortfall of testing capabilities is expressed as 59 tests per million persons and only 10 total ventilators. Within their health clinics in the government of Raqqa, the IRC's teams are taking measures to mitigate the spread of coronavirus. Paraphrased from the video transcriptions on IRC's media pages, here, temperature checks and exams are conducted with a distance of two meters between beneficiaries. For those with symptoms, prescriptions are dispensed to pharmacists without beneficiaries needing to touch them. These are made sometimes with two-month supplies to patients who are ill, 
so they are not required to return to the pharmacy if their illness persists. The at-risk communities include those currently in refugee camps. Later, Janice Pugh-Waller will provide a review of pandemic preparations in the world's largest refugee camp. But first, let's listen to a segment of a recent WHO press conference on COVID-19 and refugees. This is Mark Lokok, the United Nations Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator. Mr. Lokok is responding to a question posed by CBS News regarding at-risk regions and refugee camps. Let's listen to this exchange. This, is, this question is from Pamela Falk from CBS News. Um, she says that the report says coronavirus infections to peak in the world's poorest countries in the next three to six months. What regions are the panelists most concerned about and is the virus spreading in refugee camps? And since, Mark, you're, you're still on the screen, maybe you can start and then Filippo could follow. Well, I, I think that Mike is uh, a very good person to comment on in more detail on how we see this playing out. But we basically see it playing out in, in most regions and we're most worried about the places which have already got the biggest um, challenges. Um, and um, clearly, as Filippo was saying earlier, the virus loves places where people are very congested, where they're tightly mixed with each other, and um, displaced people and refugees tend to be very tightly uh, grouped together, as do people in urban settings and slums. So we have to be particularly worried about those people and plan uh, for novel and innovative ways on how we can best protect them. Thank you. You also heard the moderator, Melissa Fleming, the Undersecretary General for Global Communications and Chief Spokesperson for the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. She's an expert on refugees and a frequent contributor to the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and NPR. Janice, you've been researching the state of refugee camps across the globe during the pandemic. How are refugee camp populations being affected by the virus, given their extreme population density? And, and if you will, what measures are being undertaken by camp authorities to screen for the potential of illness and share information with refugees? That is a great question, Vince. I thought it would be good to give our listeners some understanding of the worldwide coronavirus challenge for refugees by discussing what is going on in the world's largest refugee camp. This camp is in Bangladesh and is known as the Kuta Palong refugee camp, which houses the Muslim minority known as Rohingya. Starting in 2017, the population began fleeing their native homeland of Miramar due to systemic religious and ethnic persecution. As of April of this year, approximately 600,000 refugees are housed in Kuta Palong, with approximately 40% of the population, or around 240,000, are children that are under the age of 12 years old. Let me provide context about the density of the population at this refugee camp. Kuta Palong is 1.5 times more densely populated than New York City. And due to this density, 
Social distancing is virtually impossible in the refugee camp, with large families living in extremely cramped quarters. Recently, Cuta Pelong has registered its first cases of the coronavirus. The United Nations and other refugee support groups are responding quickly at Cuta Pelong to slow the virus from spreading by building isolation and treatment centers, reinforcing existing health activities, constructing new sanitation facilities, including hand-washing stations. Rohingya volunteers have become first responders in order to disseminate accurate, real-time information about the virus and to educate their refugees about how to protect themselves and loved ones from contracting the virus. The government has unfortunately minimized the cell phone coverage in this camp, which makes the first responder volunteer work even more critical because it provides consistent and accurate information to this vulnerable population. Health officials are estimating that the peak number of cases may occur in the next three to six months, so hopefully the preventive measures that are being enacted now will help flatten the coronavirus curve in the future. Now that's the state of refugee camps. But the majority of refugees are in a state of migration or outside refugee camps. Listen to these comments on the scale of the crisis for unsettled refugees from Abby Maxman, president and CEO of Oxfam International. She has 30 years of experience in international humanitarian relief and development with a strategic focus on addressing the policies and systems that perpetuate global poverty. You know, adding to what everyone has said, uh, it's not a particular place right now. We know that 60% of refugees do not live in refugee camps, so they are in crowded urban slums, they are in host communities. And so the real urgency is about speed and scale, about getting resources to the front lines, to local organizations, refugee-led organizations, women-led organizations, who are the first responders, and using the NGO and international systems to get the resources to the front lines, to get the prevention and preparedness going, not diverting the other humanitarian aid that's essential to keep people's lives and livelihoods in place and intact, uh, while the response, preparedness and response happens. So it's really essential right now speed, scale, get resources out. We have to move things quickly now. Thanks. So we now see that the scale of the current health crisis affects refugees and stateless persons within and outside of refugee camps. But what of the impact on entries to host countries for resettlement? Janice, can you shed some light on the current state of resettlement and pandemic mitigation? by other world nations and the UNHCR? What are current policies in relation to the pandemic, including any moratoriums or reductions in entrance? Let's talk about the global response for refugees during the coronavirus crisis. The United Nations High Commission on Refugees, known as UNHCR, is partnering with these host countries to ensure that refugees remain at the heart of the response planning by making certain that they have access to national health care services. UNHCR umbrella initiatives include the training of health care workers at refugee sites, case management, infection prevention and control, referral systems for laboratory specimens, and the distribution of laboratory supplies, among other initiatives. 
UNHCR partners with countries around the world in support of refugees related to the coronavirus pandemic. So do you have a few of the examples of actions that hard-hit or at-risk nations are taking to protect refugees and their own populations? So let me give you a few examples. In Bangladesh, they have initiated an iris-only identification registration strategy. In Myanmar, they have procured four World Health Organization coronavirus commodity packages to support an outbreak of 40,000 people with various degrees of treatments, including up to 2,000 in ICU. Egypt is dispersing cash assistance to about 40,000 people and supplementing it with 50 Egyptian pounds for personal hygiene products. Italy has created a digital capacity building platform for refugee-led organizations on topics such as project management, advocacy, and communication. Mexico is distributing hygiene kits and expanding cash assistance for persons of concern. Sudan has built an artificial lake with 32 taps close to a refugee camp. And in the European Union, they have established a qualified pool of pre-assessed refugee health practitioners with 10 recognition centers throughout Europe. More than 500 refugees have benefited from this program since 2019. So communications must be an important part of combined strategies. Do you have examples of how nations reach persons and overcome limitations on the distribution of Internet or other communications services? In Angola, refugee journalists have been trained to lead a mobile radio campaign on coronavirus protection. Now, Vince, this is an interesting story not related to the UNHCR initiatives we just mentioned. The country of Chad is taking their coronavirus communication with refugees old school. 70% of Chad's population resides in rural communities, so this country is relying on 80 troubadours and local town criers to disseminate vital information to their population. Tell me more about widespread travel bans and closures. Due to this pandemic, 173 countries have had to implement travel bans, border closures, and other mobility restrictions, with over 34,000 re- restrictions in total. Canada has closed the U.S. border to non-essential travel, allowing only Canadian citizens and permanent residents, and blocked entry for asylum seekers between the ports of entry. The U.S. has temporarily ended the temporary protected status designation and sharply narrowed the access to asylum. European Union has sealed borders to non-essential travel by foreigners, and many of these member states have re-erected full or partial border closures. The U.S. had already greatly reduced its refugee entries towards the end of 2019. We've reported on that. And I imagine these additional measures have only reduced refugee entries here further and also in the EU. It was in March that the UNHCR announced the temporary suspension of refugee resettlement worldwide. After that announcement, the U.S. followed suit, suspending refugee admission in a year that will reflect those numbers at a historic low. The coronavirus outbreak occurred just as the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services had implemented the new public charge rule in February, which blocks eligibility for green cards for immigrants who have used or have the potential of using public benefits in the future. 
This rule expands circumstances in which immigrants can be denied green cards and may curtail people from seeking medical assistance. And in addition, non-citizens also face the hurdles with accessing health care, especially within their first five years of residency. Thanks, Janice, for this report on the broad efforts to support health and suppress the virus by UN member nations. We're going to bring this mini-episode to a close, but we'll be back to report more on the ongoing impact of the pandemic on the movement of refugees throughout the world. We'll also have more episodes on arts and culture and music from refugees and their cohorts here in the United States. This is Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America. Find us on Facebook, at Crossings Refugees, on Twitter, at Refugee underscore America, or on our blog, crossingsrefugees.home.blog. Today's episode was written and produced by Vincent Hostack and Janice Pugh-Waller in Denver, Colorado. Music was composed, produced, and performed by John Orr Franklin from Austin, Texas. We look forward to providing future episodes in this new compact format, as well as audio updates on how the global pandemic is affecting refugees coming very soon. Until then, I'm your host, Vincent Hostack. Please be safe, well, and hopeful.